Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, February 23rd, and we're recapping the past few weeks in tech earnings news. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, I think I took a pretty uneventful few weeks away from the stock market while I was in India. Yeah, how was, uh, how was India? I've never been. <laughs> Uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, I was traveling with a couple friends on my way to another friend's wedding, and uh, one of the folks that I was traveling with has aunts and uncles that live in Mumbai. So we like visited them, hung out with them for a while, and then made our way over to the wedding in Delhi and stopped in several cities along the way. Saw the Taj Mahal, got to dance a bunch. Can't really ask for much more than that. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and particularly thankful that I didn't get sick. So, so like I was like <laughs> fingers crossed the entire time. Tried to be careful uh, and got treated to some pretty some pretty amazing Indian food. So I was oh. I was thankful to come back though. My first meal back was a Five Guys burger. I, I couldn't resist <laughs> myself. Um, Austin, how did you manage to occupy your, yourself with all of your free Fridays since we weren't taping industry focus shows? I actually went snowboarding both of the free Fridays. L- look at that! Did you go on the Fool's trip? They canceled it. They canceled it. It was too warm. Too warm. So I went by myself. It's been a tough so season. Where do you where do you ski near DC? Uh, Liberty and Whitetail are the closest ones, and they're right on the pe- the border of Pennsylvania. The last weekend I went to Snowshoe. It was the last good snow. We got six inches while I was there. So and then we had an eighty day, eighty degree day back, like my second day back. Yep, I so. left. I left six inches of snow to come back to eighty degrees. Maybe we'll have a oh, nice March like, chill for you. It's like 15 you. here in Denver, so. <laughs> <laughs> Less of a concern for you over there, Evan. Um, so, so I missed quite a bit being away. Um, there was only like a minor, like three or four percent market sell-off. Uh, there was only like all of the big tech names reporting earnings. We're going to try to catch up today on some of the stuff that we missed. Uh, why don't we start out by looking at updates uh, from Twitter? So, I think today we're going to talk about Twitter and Snap specifically. Both these companies trading above their IPO price after reporting earnings. Um, market seemingly pretty enthusiastic about both of them. Shares of Twitter, Evan, are at highs that haven't been seen in over two years. What did the company do <laughs> that the market was so happy? Well, the the big one is that um, Twitter posted its first gap profitable quarter ever. Which you know, on the third quarter earnings for their outlook, they had predicted as much. Which you know, investors. You know, back then, a few months ago, in the last quarter, they were pretty excited about this. When when Twitter forecast and said, basically, you know, at the high end of our guidance, we think we can actually be profitable. You know, and not just on a non-gap adjusted basis after you back out all these costs, but on a gap basis. And, you know, and they were able to deliver. Um, so I think that's a pretty big milestone because you know, I mean, Twitter has been around for you know some like fifteen some odd years, and this is now their finally their first profitable quarter on a gap basis. That was kind of the big storyline from from their fourth quarter earnings report. And it looks like the company also managed to return to revenue growth as well. Barely, barely. So that's the thing is that this this profitability was primarily de- delivered by cost cutting and not revenue growth. I mean, revenue was up 2%, but costs were down 28%. So, you know, you put those numbers together and that's pretty much exactly how you actually squeeze out a profit finally. And within that top line, I mean, ad revenue was up 1%. So ad revenue is really kind of flat, uh, whereas the data licensing business was up 10%. I mean, that's a small part of the business, but, you know, it's, you know, up 10%. It's nice, nice little progress there. And the growth story is kind of similar when you look over at users. Like, there's posted growth, but it isn't really all that encouraging. Right. So monthly active users was 330 million, um, flat sequentially, just like a minor shift in the mix between US and international, you know, one went up. 
a million, the other one down a million. So nothing too meaningful there, but uh, more or less, you, the user base is still about flat. So it, it just kind of speaks to, you know, again, like monetization is, is okay. It's not really, not like huge gains there, but again, it's really all about cost cutting. And, and if you look specifically within the costs, um, cost of revenue, R&D, sales marketing, they're all down around 30%, you know, plus or minus a few percentage points. So the, the cuts were pretty broad-based and consistent across the board. It's not like one particular department was getting a disproportionate amount of the cost cuts. Um, but yeah, I, mean, th- I think that's a pretty big step there. Something that I think is kind of worth noting in looking through their earnings release, you know, you talked about what's going on in their advertising business and how growth really wasn't all that great. Um, both with their advertising business and in the composition of user growth, uh, the American market was actually struggling and, and posted declines. Most of the growth that we're seeing, both in advertising and in users, is coming from international markets. Right, and I think you know the U.S. market for Twitter is pretty mature. I mean, their their user numbers there have just they've kind of flatlined for years, right around this like 68 million figure on the monthly active user site. So, not really a lot going on there. Which, you know, you think about the value of different markets, and the North American market is the most compelling one for advertisers. It's, it's where you get the highest average revenue per user. So, any losses there on the user side are going to be the most valuable users that you can possibly lose. Right. All, pretty much all the other social media companies, if you look at their monetization by geography, absolutely. I mean, North America and U.S. is always by far the, the most profitable and, and best monetized. Another metric that management touted was that it's the fifth consecutive quarter that the platform has posted double-digit year-over-year daily active user growth. Uh, unfortunately, this is a song we've been singing quite a bit, Evan. That is all we got on the, on the news of daily active users. Right. So this quarter it was up twelve percent, but hard to really have that number hit home if you don't know what it's coming off of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is something we talked about back in mid-2017 with Twitter, and frankly, it's probably one of my biggest grievances with management and with the platform, is they talk about how important daily active users are uh, for the platform, and and how it's a core metric for them, and one that management monitors kind of as a sense of engagement, and yet they won't tell investors what that number actually is. They only provide growth rates for it. No, and, and even the SEC has had issues with this. The SEC has sent Twitter letters being like, hey, can you explain this? Because it seems like it's important. <laughs> and they just kind of go back to the same kind of crappy excuses that, you know, oh, it's it's not that important, but it's, it's important. You know, it's like it's hard to justify how they can say it's important but not tell investors. But what can you do? Yeah, they actually got a question via Twitter during their conference call. <laughs> Lindsay Barber asked, will there ever actually be figures for DAU? And Twitter's response was basically this jumble of corporate speak talking about how you know they only focus on the most important metrics that they want to provide, and they don't want to make any changes during fiscal years that they're providing commentary on because they want to be able to provide you know consistent comparisons for investors. Maybe that's to say they'll consider doing it in a fresh year. Uh, personally, I doubt it. Maybe. I mean, uh, especially with COO Anthony Noto recently leaving the company, because he was a big part of the company, uh, Twitter's, he was kind of like the de facto CEO in a lot of ways. you know. And I think he had a lot of influence over the disclosure. So it is very possible that with him leaving, because you know, he got poached from SoFi, that uh, personal lending startup last month, to be their CEO. So with him leaving, it does kind of open up the possibility of various types of changes uh, at the top levels of Twitter. Needless to say, you and I would be thrilled if they decided to start disclosing that. Um, One other thing that we've kind of focused on in the past as a point of concern with Twitter 
is what's been going on with their cost of ad engagements. And they were down 42% year over year this quarter. And that figure has posted double digit year over year declines every quarter since Q3 2015. I mean, this is, this is something that we've talked about plenty when looking at their earnings. But you think of the calculus for an ad based business basically have the number of ads that you show people and what you charge for those ads. If ads continue to decline in price, you can only make it up on volume for so long. And that's why they've really struggled to post overall revenue growth. Right. So that's going to be a key issue going forward, particularly as as we as it seems like monetization, engagement, and you know, all these things seem to be kind of peaking. And you know, it seems like Twitter's hitting a ceiling with some of these kind of fundamental metrics that that all contribute to the ad business. So it is going to be tricky. I mean, I mean, kind of more broadly though, I think that if if they can really keep these costs in line, I mean, you know, for example, there's been years of speculation of like. Oh, Twitter needs to sell itself. They need to find a buyer. They're going to fail. They're going to go bankrupt because they just lose so much money. But I think, you know, I've argued before that I do think Twitter can be a viable, sustainable company if they just right size the cost structure. And we're finally seeing the company do just that. And I, I do think that it can survive if it just keeps its growth expectations in check, doesn't spend a bunch of money chasing things it can never achieve. Um, not to say that I think Twitter is going to be a great business worth investing in that'll beat the market in the long run, but I do think that it's carved out a unique place for itself within social media. And you know, I think that they can, you know, they they, they can be a viable standalone company and be sustainable. And they've ex- they've demonstrated that this quarter by you know mostly through cost cutting because as you mentioned you know the, the top line is not doing a whole lot <laughs> so that was basically what I was about to ask you here Evan is you know shares are up 50% in the past month basically on a, on this news and and the idea that you know we're we're seeing them become profitable maybe this is the turnaround that we have long waited for uh, it seems like you are not convinced that this is a business worth owning right now no i i've never owned shares i Probably never will. I just don't think that Twitter's ever going to be this like incredible business that's going to beat the market and really put up these really strong numbers. But you know, that doesn't mean I think the company's going to fail and go under or necessarily needs to be bought. Uh, you know, and of course, there's always there's constant speculation of so and so wants to buy Twitter, or, <laughs> and you know, and Twitter has a lot of problems for sure. You know, on its platform. Um, but I mean, I think that they, I don't have any concerns about them like going away or dying. Yeah, I think I think they're probably here to stay. But what keeps me away is you look at basically what they're valued at now. You know, given this recent run up, they're at ten times sales, and that's a company that's not really posting meaningful top line growth. So if they're eking out profitability by cost savings, and you know, like they they have this core user group that really likes the service, but they're not growing that meaningfully, it's kind of hard to it's hard to justify that premium for a business that's not really posting big growth. Right, exactly, and and I think I think you know certainly, you know it's it's a relief to to see them put up some you know, decent numbers and the stocks going up you know as, as investor sentiment improves. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you know if this is just like a one quarter bump or you know it's, it's it's you know you have to wait and see how they perform going forward and can they really can they consistently put up profits? And even then, it, you know you know it goes back to the question of are you actually growing the business? Is your profits? Are your profits actually growing? Or I mean, even if, the, even if they can hit profitability, if those profits are flat, then you know you, you shouldn't. You probably shouldn't be fetching ten times sales <laughs> or, or any other you know, good valuation metrics if you're not actually growing. So, Evan, one of the other big social media companies, uh, Snap, also had a pretty busy month. Why don't we talk about what's been going on with them? They had their quarterly update. Their annual 10K is now available for investors. 
Uh, they've been in the news thanks to Wall Street analysts. Kylie Jenner chimed in on what's going on with Snap. And there's all this hoopla about the platform's long-awaited redesign. Which one of those items do you want to hit first? Well, I mean, they so they did report fourth quarter earnings, and you know, users numbers did come in better than expected. Daily active users are now 187 million. They did add nine million uh, users during the quarter, so that's you know certainly much better than people were expecting, and better than they've done in over the past year. So there was definitely some good news here. Uh, most of the I think those user gains are coming from improvements on the Android side because Snapchat's Android app has long had performance issues, and they've been really trying to to make the performance better and you know, retention of new Android users trying Snapchat for the first time was up 20%. So, definitely making some progress there. Looking at the financials for this business, uh, in the most recent quarter, revenue came in at $286 million. Uh, that's up 72% year over year. You look out at full year 2017, the company pulled in just under $830 million. Uh, I know when they were doing their IPO roadshow, this number was kind of floated. It's hard to know what side it came from, whether it was uh, the book runners or whether it was Snap themselves. Talking about this idea of maybe $1 billion in revenue in 2017, they're falling a little bit short of that. But you go back to the two most recent quarters, uh, and you kind of build that out. It was like $500 million over the course of Q3 and Q4 for calendar uh, 2017. So, they're getting closer to that. But they are still valued at, I think, 25 times sales as a business, especially given this recent <laughs> run-up. So, so it's still a very rich business here. I mean, just the fact that I laugh out loud <laughs> when you talk about their valuation metrics should tell you enough. Because, yeah, I mean, I think this business is stupidly overvalued for what they're actually capable of doing and how young this company is and how much uncertainty there is. And like you mentioned before, with this episode with Kylie Jenner this last week, I mean, the, the bigger picture bigger issue is, is this big redesign that they're rolling out this quarter in the first quarter. And I mean, there's been so much user backlash. I mean, there was a bunch of negative reviews. There was this hoax that went viral on social media. I'm not sure if you saw because you were at a, you know, <laughs> traveling, but you know, basically someone on Twitter tweeted this like fake message saying, Oh, if I can get retweets, Snapchat will go back to the way it used to be. And they got like 1.2, 1.5 million retweets. So clearly, I mean, it's obviously a hoax, but there's a lot of interest there. There's even a change.org petition that has like 1.2 million signatures. And then, you know, the other day, Kylie Jenner, who's one of the most popular Snapchatters, tweets that she doesn't use the app anymore. Stock goes down. I mean, and another, perhaps more importantly, uh, particularly financially, on the publisher side, uh, yesterday, Maybelline tweeted that its Snapchat views have "quote unquote" dropped dramatically uh, following the redesign, and it's not sure if it wants to stay on Snapchat as the right platform to connect with its consumers and its customers. And asked its followers with a poll, you know, should we stay on Snapchat or shift our focus to, to Instagram? Which means shifting, i.e., our ad budget. <laughs> and 80% of respondents said Instagram. So that those aren't really encouraging, you know, data points. For, for Snapchat. I mean, Maybelline has since deleted the tweet and issued a statement saying, that, oh, that was just one employee. It doesn't reflect our views, the company's views. Maybelline has a strong partnership with Snap and a bunch of you know kind of PR uh, response. But you know, the broader point is if this redesign is really that universally hated among users, that's not going to you know be good for engagement there's or some, the business. There's some irony there in Kylie Jenner and Maybelline also pulling people or expressing sentiment on Twitter about Snap. Um, there's something kind of funny about that, but you know, like to to kind of go back to what you're talking about with publishers, you know, there's a, a decision that anyone with an ad budget has to make, and it's you know, where am I going to get the most value for my dollars? 
And I think the concern both for Twitter and for Snap for the longest time has been, it seems like Facebook and Google are better places for ad budgets and marketers are seeing a better ROI on what they're spending there. And unless these platforms are able to convince marketers otherwise, they're going to have a really hard time retaining all of their customers that are buying up uh, ads and are you know helping find floors for these prices. Right, exactly. And I mean, it all comes down to you know when it comes you talk about like an ad business, it's all about your ability to target, right? And you know, because targeting ties into the relevance to the users, and that's all based on user data. So you know, it just depends on how much. That's why you know user data is so important to these businesses. And I mean, if you think about Twitter or Snapchat, I mean, you don't put as much user data about yourself on those platforms as you do on like Facebook or Google. So I think that there is a fundamental disadvantage there because I mean, how much information do you share with Twitter that they can kind of use to, to to target you with ads? And of course, there's some, but I mean, if you compare it to Facebook, where you put so much information about yourself, it's not even close. If you're looking for bright spots in some of the recent numbers that we've seen from Snap. Uh, I think you can look at gross margin and say that we're kind of pleasantly surprised with the expansion that we've seen there. You know, you, you look at revenue and cost on a per-user basis, and of course the company backs out some costs like stock-based comp, depreciation, amortization. But Snap posted a gross margin of 36% in the most recent quarter on a per-user basis, uh, and that is up from single digits uh, in early 2017, which is pretty impressive to me. All right, so they're, they're definitely making a lot of progress there on the cost side as well, kind of like. Twitter, but not in the same way, uh, because you know Snap, as we've talked about many times before, th- their biggest cost, their hosting cost, they pay to <clears throat> Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud. Google is their biggest cloud infrastructure provider, uh, but they've been able to kind of leverage this dual relationship to kind of pit these two companies against each other to negotiate and, and score some pricing concessions, which helps them on the cost side. Um, <clears throat> so that that is helping and and really contributing to this gross margin expansion because they're they're able to kind of keep these costs in check while the ad business is growing and they are making some some you know definite progress on that side too you know they're they're really shifting to this programmatic uh, self-serve ad platform and 90% of ads purchased last quarter were done so programmatically which helps you know is better for scaling better for costs um, so there are uh, you know some things that they are doing you know, that are making progress on. But I still think that this hosting cost strategy is, is really just terrible in the long term. I mean, if you look at it, they spent almost $500 million in 2017 on hosting costs alone, and less than $100 million, about $85 million on capital expenditures. So, I mean, they're spending so much money for something that, you know, it, it, I mean, it's just it's just like the you're renting this, you know, this capacity as opposed to owning it. and. You don't really. Ha- I mean, generally, anytime you rent something, you don't have anything to show for it afterwards. And I mean, they they argue that the low capex helps their free cash flow, which is technically true. But even with this capital light model, they've burned over eight hundred million dollars in negative free cash flow last year, mostly because operating cash flow is negative. They burned like one hundred eighty million a quarter on average in operating cash flow last year. So it, it's hard to really make sense of. You know, it's hard to really believe their their argument that this is the right strategy. Yeah, it's a bold strategy. We haven't really seen too many tech companies of their size try things this way, where they have basically variable costs for hosting that um, are going to fluctuate with how much people are using it. It makes that leverage you were talking about a little bit tougher to reach. Uh, and then looking at the 10K, I know you wrote a piece uh, with pulling out some of the most important stuff from the 10K. It's on fool.com. Listeners, if you want it, just right into the show. Um, anything else from the 10K that really stood out to you? Um, so one news item that made the when they filed this, a lot of people were pointing out that 
Evan Spiegel got a six hundred and you know forty million dollar bonus, but that wasn't really news because that was disclosed at the time of the IPO because Snap gave Spiegel a gigantic bonus for taking the company public, which is valued at about six hundred and forty million dollars. So that's not really new news, but it kind of popped up again in the news feeds, news cycle. And the weird thing about that bonus is that Snap recognized it all immediately and invested immediately. So he could leave the company and still have all those shares, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, we've also always known that public investors get zero votes, which is ridiculous from a corporate governance standpoint. Um, but they gave another update in terms of, you know, Evan Spiegel and Robert Murphy, the two co-founders and the you know CEO and CTO respectively, they have a combined voting power of ninety-five percent, which is just insane. So I mean, their their grip on this company is so absolute, and you you know you have no way to to change anything, which is hilarious because in their in their filing, they even have the, these statements like, "Oh, our board of directors thinks corporate governance is really important." It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, that's just not true. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're a Snap investor, you need to really buy into the long-term vision that Spiegel and Murphy have because they are going to basically be able to exert their will on the company. Yeah, it's just it, you have to absolutely trust them, and with what they've done so far, I don't know if they they deserve that trust because you know it doesn't really seem like they have shareholders' best interests in mind. I mean, if you, if you look at even other, there's other little red flag or yellow flags, let's say. Like, for example, their general counsel left last year, and then they hired a guy from Spiegel's dad's law firm, and they're paying him like $500,000 a year to be a general counsel, which is way above market rates. He got a $200,000 signing bonus. And I mean, I, I just, there's all these things that, in my mind, feel like Snap is only trying to enrich Spiegel, his friends and family, and insiders, and, and not public investors. You know, I, I would not touch this company. And, and when you put all of the corporate governance on top of a business that, it really hasn't made the case that it's investment worthy, at least to me. Um, you have you have something that I'm not going to touch. I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as you, um, especially at the valuation it's currently at, given what we're seeing on the user growth side, and I think some of the struggles that they're going to have um, making costs work and making margins really work for them long term. Uh, it will be interesting. I, I think the thing to watch for this business in 2018 is how do things go with programmatic ads? You know, if they get to a point where the auction system's working. They're getting good volume, and you know prices find a floor and wind up being pretty competitive. They might avoid a lot of the problems that Twitter has had on the revenue growth side. Right. So yeah, I mean they're, they're definitely making some progress on the you know specifically with these financial numbers. But yeah, it's just hard to believe anything that this company says because everything they say is basically just not true. Like Spiegel in an internal memo, memo a few months ago was like, oh, we're scaling our business really well, but it's like no, you're not because I mean you're scaling a little bit, but your costs and your revenue are just not heading in the right direction to, to argue that you're scaling. They say they like corporate governance, but that's not true. They say that the capital light model works better for them, but that's not true. <laughs> like, there's just all these things that they say that are demonstrably false if you just break it down into the actual num- and look at the numbers. So it's and I mean, how can you? Tr- and when you're asking investors to trust you completely, and then you keep. Saying you know, get, you know, sending these messages that just aren't really believable. Like, it, it just doesn't add up. You know, I'm going to give you the opportunity for one more parting shot here, Evan. Were there <laughs> were there any mentions of Snap's spectacles business or camera ambitions in the most recent 10K? No, no, I didn't see any. I mean, spectacles they've basically tried to forget about. <laughs> they don't talk about them at all anymore. Um, they used to disclose revenue on the calls and 
yeah, they, they haven't really talked about hardware at all. Um, <clears throat> but I think that's kind of more of a, a long-term plan. But you know, they they are you know monitoring headcount growth, which they had been hiring so aggressively for the past couple of years that they kind of overshot, and, <laughs> and specifically the things that they're hiring for kind of fell flat. So you kind of have to backtrack and lay those people off. And now they're trying to focus on making their, their workforce more productive. I mean, they're still going to ha- hire where, where they need to, but they're, they're going to try to be more disciplined. But, you know, and, and we know that some of those layoffs were related to hardware because Spectacles was such a disaster. But, yeah, we just have to kind of see where they go from here. It sounds like we're getting a slightly more focused snap in 2018. Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Evan, anything else before I let you hop off? No, I think we I think we got it pretty well. All right, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Shout out to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. Fool on. Cool